And today we are going to begin um, sort of a light series that's going to pick up with some intensity on the back end of the month. In January, I usually do a series of teachings called Vision for Vision. And what this does is it sort of lays out in, uh, in more detail. I've already written our year-end letter, which gave us a summary of what went on and some direction for where we're going for 2020. This is designed to get us sort of all on the same page, praying, planning, and looking in the same direction for how we believe God wants to work through us this year. And so the particulars of those teachings will happen on the back end of the month, but what I want to do at the beginning of this month is talk about the two priorities, at least one of them today, that I mentioned in our annual letter, and that is the significance of what prayer is going to mean for our church in 2020. And so we've just wrapped up the second official week of the new year. And as you know, the first few weeks of January, they're, they're pretty interesting. They always cause us as people and us as a larger culture uh, to sort of embrace the whole resolution thing. I've been asked by uh, several people what resolutions I have. And I don't necessarily like buying to the New Year's resolution. I kind of like the whole like Jesus helped this resolution come about in my life because usually the real resolutions I have, I cannot accomplish without him. But uh, peaceful and thoughtful are the things that I'm trying to focus more on in my life this year. So I, I have some of these goals, too. I don't want you to hear me speaking at you. I'm sort of speaking alongside with you. And what's interesting is uh, January 1, the new year, all of this is just another day on a calendar of 365 days. But for whatever reason, in our minds and in our hearts and in our culture, people see this brief window as like a life reset button. And it usually causes us to evaluate the past and to think about how we want to be different in the future. And so during the next weeks, perhaps more than any other, we're going to be thinking about life change. That's usually what is on somebody's mind to some degree. To some degree. And a few weeks ago, as is our tradition, we prayed the new year in together with our ACTS service. It's a corporate prayer time, which is beautiful. It's one of the, my most favorite things that we do. And what I want to do today is add something to that uh, by looking at a very pertinent New Year teaching in Ephesians. I've shared this text with you. I want to approach it from a different angle today a few years ago because it's very, very important. And in it, we learn some very critical things that Paul teaches us about how we can you might say have a resolution that is lasting because as you also know one of the ironic things about new year's resolutions is that pretty much all the sociological science says by week three uh you know we're already thinking about our summer vacations we're not even in the new year resolution mode anymore and so this teaching is a great one for this week and this sort of month because through it if you will let god and i want to sort of emphasize that god has the prerogative to do what he wants when he wants but one of the unique things about the relationship that he has with us is that he desires us to be volitionally engaged in it. And so I don't think you can stop God from doing anything. Don't hear me saying that. But what I am saying is you can certainly conduct yourself in a way where you impede the grace and the goodness of Jesus in your life. And so I want you to think about this this morning from the angle of being open-minded and sort of open-hearted and letting God work in us this day and certainly in the days that follow especially when it comes to your, your followership, your discipleship of him over these next months. And it's in this text in Ephesians where Paul gives us, you know, they're certainly not resolutions in the way we understand them, but they are absolutely Christian resolutions that I think can help us to experience God's presence in our lives in a more meaningful and thoughtful way in 2020. And so with that in mind, I want to challenge each of us to, to pray. Prayer is something we're going to be talking a lot about here in the weeks to come. But for today, I want us to sort of encapsulate the same sense of urgency that Paul has in this text. Ur not urgent as far as like anxious, 
but urgent in the sense that he recognizes the significance of this. Okay? I want to challenge each of us to pray and act with the same healthy sense of urgency in 2020 in our own lives and on behalf of our church family that the Apostle Paul has for us in this passage. And so over these next weeks, we're going to talk about two disciplines. There are many of them, but there are two that we'll focus on. And disciplines, another word we use for disciplines here at Restoration are life, it's life rhythms. And the idea behind that is um, if you've ever played a sport or you've been engaged in you know, dance or something that requires discipline, the, the drive to, to learn a certain set of techniques or something that's ordered, eventually what happens with a discipline, like I wrestled for four years, and I can remember in my first year, I literally had to mentally think through every single way my body was moving. But by the second year, what started happening was the, the disciplines, all these things that I was being coached in, they just started happening rather naturally. And then you get to the point, at least in my athletics, where you're just wrestling. Like you're not thinking about techniques and maneuvers. You're just sort of instinctively moving around and doing the things you know that you are supposed to do. And the same is true with the, the disciplines or the rhythms. Some of you might pray a lot. Some of you might not pray at all. But the truth is, is the more we engage the theological truth of prayer and the more that we actually understand prayer, at some point prayer moves from like f- sort of having to mechanically function with it to the place where it becomes a little bit more natural in our lives. And that's really what I think we see here through a handful of very small words that Paul uses. And so if we're serious about following Jesus well this year, I want us to look to this first discipline or to begin looking at it this morning. Because here Paul practices it in his own life. And so I have one main idea I'd like you to think about this morning. And normally it would be behind me. It's not going to be there today. If you have or would like my notes, please email us this week, and I can get you all this stuff in print so that you have uh, a written record of this. The one thing that I want you to think about this year is this. Make this the year that you pray that God creates a desire in you to be a person of prayer. And so what this means is, is if you're not praying, it really is good to ask God to help create that burden in your life. If you are a person of prayer, it's really good to, help, to ask God to help you increase that burden in your life and maybe even disciple another person in the discipline of prayer. And the reason I bring this up is Abe, our worship leader, read a handful of verses to you. We're not going to look at them all today. We're going to look at them in sequence over the next weeks. But there's only one sort of portion of a sentence that I want to examine today. And it's the way Paul begins this statement in Ephesians 3, 14 through 17. There he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. And then he lists a bunch of things that God has done and is doing in his life. And it's interesting here because Paul Paul gives us this invaluable insight into why he had such a strong faith in Jesus. Paul's by no means a perfect person, but when we look to him, he does have a pretty robust faith and followership of Christ. And it's found, the reason for this is found in the verb he uses in verse 14, I kneel. Because of this, for this reason... My love of Jesus, my pursuit of him, my wanting to build the kingdom, wanting to know my Father in heaven. Because of this, I kneel, which is an obvious reference to the priority that he placed on the spiritual discipline of prayer in his life. And this is really important to note in a passage like this, because it's very easy for our hearts to focus on all the amazing promises God makes to us on the back end of the text. So things like Paul says, we want to be rooted in his love. We want to live in his strength and power. We want to be filled with the fullness of Christ. Those things are very appealing to us, especially if you're trying to follow Jesus. And what often happens in a culture like ours, which is more concerned with result than process most of the time, and please hear me, I'm not against result. I'm just saying 
The best results happen when we take serious the process that bring them about. What tends to happen here is we might in our minds think, yeah, I want to feel more love this year. Yeah, I want to be functioning in the strength and the power of Jesus. Yeah, I want to be filled with the fullness of Christ. We go right to that stuff and we're like, that would be awesome. But we totally gloss over the prerequisite way Paul says God actually brings that about in our lives. And in this, in this case, the way those promises are fulfilled is by communicating with God. It's by regularly recognizing the need for them in our life and praying for them. And so what Paul is showing us here is one of the most neglected words in the Christian faith today. Let me explain what I mean by this. Paul is interesting to me. He's truly next to Jesus like my, um, my, my, my model, you might say. Uh, even starting a church 10 years ago here, I, I just was always so invigorated and challenged, uh, encouraged and even disappointed, discouraged by Paul. Because when I read Paul, uh, I find him to be, like, amazing in so many ways. Like, the guy seemed unstoppable in his desire to bring God's kingdom about. That's encouraging, uh, encouraging because we know he wasn't perfect, right? And there's something there that we can sort of tap into. He's a a human, a person just like us. He seems to have his stuff together. So he's a person we can look to. But it's also challenging sometimes. It's frustrating because... Sometimes I read the way he's functioning and I'm wondering, like, why am I not functioning that way? Like, why do I not have this level of faith in this matter of my life? Even though Paul has no shortage of these challenges in his own life, it's sort of easy for us at times to to look at him or the works of the scripture or maybe men and women we look up to that, that are following Jesus well. And we might think that things seem more perfect or more in order there than they are in our lives. And that really could be true. Or it could just be that we live in this world where we're so consumed with results that we don't care enough to actually find out the process that is leading people to these places where hope and love and comfort and peace are disciplines and rhythms they embrace and practice every day in their lives. And so this leads us to a natural question to ask about Paul's life. What was so special about him that he, he could live like this? Why is it that I'm teaching, why is it that God desired Paul to write a substantial portion of the New Testament that we study here each week? Verses like this teach us that there, there really is nothing special about Paul. And this is what's really worth noting. He didn't have supernatural powers. He was not Jesus himself. Rather, he understood something. When you look at his life, there's a series of things that seem to be priorities for him. And one of the greatest is that he recognizes Christianity is a faith that requires discipline, spiritual discipline. It re- requires us to embrace a certain set of rhythms so that our life can be filled with the truth and the grace of Jesus. And I'll never forget um, this. I want to share this story with you. I've shared it once before here three years ago, so I remember, you probably all remember it well. Right? Um, it's the time when this became real to me. There's lots of ways where, where Christian discipline, in the sense of studying and pursuing Jesus, have been taught to me. But the first time this became a thing for me was actually in my first year of seminary. I became a Christian in my uh, mid-20s. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that I was against God. I just really had no uh, strong desire for anything that seemed to be uh, Christian. I was like one of those people that loved to argue with people about um, Christians. And, you know, so in many ways, like, this is why I appreciate Paul, because he, he just talked a lot and wanted to win arguments. And this was who I was when I became a Christian. And so uh, I had a couple of men and women that were really pouring into my life. And when I began to sense a call in the ministry, I moved to New Orleans and 
began my studies there at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And one of the classes we took in our first year was called the Spiritual Disciplines. And the premise of this class was somewhat of a shock to me. Because even though I had been a Christian for about 18 months at that time, that was the first time that I had actually heard the words Christianity and discipline used in the same sentence. Like, like what the class was about was, was these things, these ideas are inseparable. You cannot fully follow Jesus well without a discipline. Because the truth is, is you won't know what to do or how to think or how to, how to function, how to practice. And that seemed, at least in my mind, as I began the introduction class, it seemed way too long in my life, a year and a half, to have first heard about this. It seemed like I should have heard about this a little bit, a little bit earlier. And in a lot of ways, what I was taught to understand faith as is how we teach faith today. Faith is sort of like we, we see God as like a cosmic dispenser of blessings and we think he sort of exists to to satisfy us and i want you to know that that is actually true like the greatest the chief end of our existence is to glory in god and to know him that is very very true but what can subtly happen over time especially in a culture that can be somewhat narcissistic at times is that we can then think that the only reason god exists is so that he can make me happy or he can make me, uh, you know, provide for me what I think I need in life. And what happens then is we begin to forget that there are tons of other people in our world and our circles of influence that need to hear the same grace, truth of Jesus through your words and your deeds. And so this was the first time that I was exposed to this idea that everything God gave me was not just something that God gave me. There was an ultimate and a greater purpose and a use for it, not just for my life, but so that the truth and grace of Christ could be sent to the world, so that we could be a a shoulder to cry on, a hand to meet a need when we come across neighbors that have needs, whether those are the men and women we follow Jesus with or the people in our neighborhoods there who we just have an opportunity to, as the scripture says, to never tire of doing good for, right? And so in in this class, we were assigned this book, and I'd encourage you to read it if you're interested in this idea. The book was called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It was written by a guy named Donald Whitney. And it dedicated a chapter to each of the most crucial disciplines, which included practices like reading the Bible, praying, or we're beginning to discuss today, understanding and faithfully participating in worship. Just so you know, the average statistic now, the average Christian who professes faith in Christ and becomes a part of a church family attends a worship gathering, which we believe is very important for a number of reasons, like 1.5 times every six weeks. This is why we call these things disciplines. Lots of Christians follow Jesus, but they don't read the Bible. It's a discipline. It's something that's important. Lots of people freak out in life. They're stressed, but they forget verses like Philippians teach us where, we are, where God says, you know, be anxious about nothing, but in everything bring your needs to me with prayer so I can show you a, a different way. Participating in worship, evangelism, how to share faith through word and deed, mission, what it means to see the world as a place where we can make it better, financial generosity in our church and certainly in the places of the world that are not even connected to our church, fasting and learning. Man, the list goes on. This book dedicated a chapter to each one of these disciplines, and it was revolutionary for me because up until that point, I really did think faith was just a gift God gave me to satisfy my life needs. And I didn't even know, I knew what a discipline was, but I didn't know what a Christian discipline was, let alone that biblically and historically, these are the primary way God chooses to bring about Christ-centered growth and maturity in his people. And it did not take me long to find the thesis of this book. It's, you might even say, the premise of the message I'm teaching today. It's found on the second page, and again, if you would like this, email us, I'll get you this information, uh, where Donald Whitney says this, I'll read you the quote. Normally it would be behind me, but focus on my voice today, like Moses, okay? 
Christians, he says, have been redeemed to pursue a life of godliness. The spiritual disciplines are the God-given means we are to use in the spirit-filled pursuit of godliness. And he goes on to say, godly people are disciplined people. It has always been so. And I want to read that again. Christians have been redeemed to pursue a life of godliness. That means to become like God. And the spiritual disciplines are the God-given means we are to use in the spirit-filled pursuit of godliness. Godly people are disciplined people. It has always been so. And then he went on to give this extensive list of people throughout church history and in his own life that exemplified Christian living this way. You probably have this list in your head too. You can think of certain people in the scripture I just shared one with you, Paul, um, and people in our lives that have just set a good example for the faith. And so it's fair to say in a room this size that some of you might be in the same boat that I was in prior to taking that class. And this is because this is where sort of culture and Christianity meet. And they're meant to meet. We're meant to be Christians in culture. We have to be mindful that at times, sometimes culture can subordinate Christianity, and that's, that's no good. What we want is a Christianity that is present in culture. And this is because we live in a Christian culture that, that seems to be growing in the, their appetite to consume some form of something that looks spiritual or sounds spiritual, but is not necessarily, the, the end game of this consumption is not to discipline one's life for the sake of godliness through the things I just mentioned, the faithful study of Scripture, by genuinely worshiping God and community and in community groups in our living rooms, uh, by, by engaging in mission, by recognizing that we matter to God, but we're not the only people that matter to God. And certainly uh, this idea of being a person who prays. There are, of course, other disciplines, but it's kind of clear that all of the other disciplines dangle out of those three. And so in general, the scripture is a book largely concerned with leading us to experience Christ's fullness in our lives. And we see these disciplines mentioned a great deal. And here in particular, Paul is saying to us, and think about this, the degree to which you and I experience God's promises, hope, and all the things we ask for, and all the things we hope he brings about in our lives, the experience of this, the degree to which we experience God's promises and fullness in our lives is directly connected to how much of a priority you make the spiritual disciplines a part of your life, and in particular, prayer. Because God gave these things to us for a reason, so we could deeply know Him and experience Him. And so here's sort of the point in where I'm going this morning, or where we're going to begin wrapping up. When you are faithful to practice the disciplines of prayer, this one particularly, Scripture study, how do you know what to pray for, how to pray? Well, there's certainly a community of believers here that would love to help you with that. But what we know, we know because we've studied the scriptures about prayer. How do we know what worship is supposed to look like? Although the unique expression of worship at every church can be different because a lot of what happens here is happening because of the natural way our church has bloomed and the gifts and the abilities of our people. This is what I love about restoration. We are truly unique in this way because there are no other people like you in any other church, and the same is true for them and us. And so what happens here grows sort of indigenously out of who we are. How do we know what worship should look like? How do we know like what we absolutely should and should not be doing down in the front of the room? Well, we turn to the scriptures so that we have an objective authority. All of these things matter, and the more we spend time in them, they create a fertile soil in our heart that allows God to bring his grace about in us, to grow us. And so the disciplines I like to say, and I like to use this analogy for almost all Christian growth, um, we live in a fast world, and I, I think my next series, when we're done with this, is actually going to be about what it means to have a slow faith in a fast world. God's, God is, is concerned with process, 
and disciplines are, are processes. If you've been to the gym and you work out, you know, you don't just sign up for that membership, drink a Powerade, get on the bench one time and come out all jacked. It's a whole process of how your muscles begin to tone and retone. Your cardiovascular system, there's a process that eventually brings about that health. The same is true when it comes to our spirituality. The disciplines are sort of like soil uh, nutrients. They accelerate God's ability to grow Christ-like maturity in us. And this is why I'm asking you, alongside with me, to pray that our church would, would grow in our appetite for these things over this next year. And so if you sit here today having recognized that you're neglecting the spiritual discipline of prayer in your life, take heart. Uh, this is not a teaching to condemn you. This is a teaching to let you know that there really is no judgment in this. Rather, there's a heartfelt concern, we see it from Paul, and a call that you bring this to God and ask for his grace. God doesn't want to isolate you from this. He wants to move your heart to the place where you practice these disciplines. Start the new year. This is just a very simple challenge, or I should say continue it since we're technically like in the third week. If you're a person who doesn't read the Bible, you can literally read a chapter of the Bible in less than five minutes, and I'm being super generous with this. And I've joked before here, like if you get the Bible app, you don't even have to read it. Like you can, you can let your phone read to you. It's like having your own personal Bible assistant. Like you can just press a button and it will read to you. A chapter a day, a couple of minutes a day starts somewhere. Prayer is the same thing. Pray, though, if you have no appetite for these things, pray that God will create the appetite in your heart, that he will show your heart and compel it to want to be in his presence in these ways. Because when you do that, something amazing happens. And this is the premise of what we just celebrated last month, whole Christmas season. You'll find that when you make it a priority to be in God's presence, he has a habit of getting in yours. He's already promised that. He's come to earth so that he could be in our presence and us in his. And so as we get ready to take communion here and move into the third week of January, where 85% of resolutions are now flushed down the toilet bowl. I don't know where yours are, but if, if you're holding the handle, back up here for a second. All right? Resolutions tend to fade away, and we get on with the next chapter of our lives. These types of things can become distant memories. And so I want you to ask yourself this morning, if you're a person who prays, if you'd like more info on what prayer looks like, if, if you're saying, like, you know, I've never really thought about what praying is or why we even do it, this is the time on that card, call us, email us. Just, you know, write your name and some way we can get in touch with you and write prayer in the comments slide. And what we'll do is we'll begin collecting this and we'll spend some time, we'll figure out a way to spend some time talking about some practical ways to understand what it means to pray. Because I'm convinced that the future of our church, especially as we begin to enter our 10th year of ministry, the future of where we have to go has to be dependent on prayer. There are a lot of big obstacles in front of us. Like we keep praying about where we're going to meet. We're 10 years in this theater and I love it. We have great relationships here, but we all feel the sense of something different, like that there's a the sojourn at some point must end, and we have to get into something that's a little more permanent. And these things require prayer so that we understand that our hearts are correct and proper in what we ask for, and that we have the patience and peace to let God answer his prayers in the ways that he sees fit. This is true with every area of our life. So ask yourself, do you pray? Ask yourself if you're pursuing godliness through the disciplines of the faith. And if you're not in Jesus, ask yourself why not? Maybe you're here saying like, you know, I'm hearing you talk here about all these wonderful relational opportunities God offers us in Christ, but I don't even know what that means. Or maybe I'm in Jesus, but just having a really hard time with him. Whatever that is, ask yourself where you're at here. The disciplines of the faith can help you through those things. Community can help you through those things. God's love, power, and peace, they are waiting for us. They have already been presented to us. If you feel like you are without them, the question is, what, what is impeding the dam of your heart with receiving them?
And as we think about the future of our church, which we'll do in some more detail in the weeks that follow, I'm convinced now more than ever, and I really believe this, that it's crazy to me to think like in October of this year, we will celebrate 10 years as a, as a body. And we've done some amazing things. And I have these big gray streaks because of half of them in my beard. But it's wonderful to think that we have a decade of serving Jesus here in this community in ways that we can track and ways that we cannot track. But the future, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going, I'm convinced more than ever that a concerted prayer effort is going to be necessary. And there'll be more details about what that looks like in the weeks to come. The short story of it is that it is my hope by the end of this month that we will have people that are praying 24-7 for the the work and the mission of Jesus Christ at our church. That we'll have a group of people that will sign up and say, I'd like to pray on Tuesdays a few times for the the kingdom of God to be brought through, uh, through this church here on earth. That's where we're going here towards the end of the month. There's so much that he's doing. And so if you haven't read that annual letter, please grab a copy of it. It's written in November, but now you'll, you'll at least know more than what I'm sharing with you now. And it is truly my prayer that this day is, you know, we, we're thinking about a year for sure, but years are comprised of days and moments. And so let's focus on the moments as we end here. That you would truly take your next step with Jesus, whatever it is, by connecting your heart to this church family. If you're looking for a church or have questions about the church, you know, explore us. We'd love to, we'd love to show you who our church family is. If you've been a part of our family, commit to serving the church body in these walls and outside of it. The mission and the ministry we do, we do. This is what Ephesians teaches us, that God has set apart every single one of us in unique and purposeful ways to accomplish what he wants to accomplish on earth. And that is for the world to hear of the peace and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. Support our work with your time, with your tithes, with your offering, with your treasures. And as you pray about 2020, as you think about praying and laboring and giving your life to Christ in all ways, I want you to ask you, I want to ask you right now to partner with me in praying what Paul mentions on the back end of Ephesians 3. You know, he says, I kneel. We've already discussed that. And I just want to, I want you to see by reading to you what Paul thinks is going to happen because of his kneeling. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. After talking about the importance of prayer and highlighting it, he says, now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Listen, you don't end up saying like, now I'm going to do immeasurable things in the power of Jesus Christ without being a person who prays. Because you cannot believe that in your heart unless you have the voice of Jesus whispering it with accuracy into your heart. And that promise is as true for your life as it is for mine, as it is for our church. Whatever we're asking God to do, especially when, when it comes to the things and the ways that we want to honor him as a church family, we should expect him to do more. I want to have a bigger imagination this year of what restoration is going to be and become. And so as we begin the journey, or continue it in its very early stages in 2020, let's pray diligently for God to bring about these promises in our lives that we would recognize the true power and the authority of Christ in our lives and live in light of that. Let's be willing to let him use us. One of the things that happens when you begin to ask God about who you are before him and what he desires for you is that he's going to very likely show you some things, like some places where you might have not even been paying attention that you can make great impact in the world. To accomplish these things, we must pray. And so as we move to our time of communion and response, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about this new year and your prayer life? And what will you do about it in the way that he leads? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for for the Apostle Paul, for the book of Ephesians, for the truth of prayer. Because what we see here is that 
the, the Christian journey, although it might look somewhat different on the outside, some 2,000 years after Paul wrote this in Ephesians, the inside of it is absolutely no different at all. Paul, like the men and the women in the New Testament, were people who were just trying to follow you and to serve you and to bring about your will and your way in the world. And so we are in the absolute same place here today. We rely on you in the same ways. We look to you in the same ways. And I pray we would never forget whatever we're dealing with in life, we deal with it not alone, but with you, with your son and with your spirit and with each other. And so it is our genuine prayer, Father, that in the remaining moments we have together, as brief as they are, that you would use this communion table as a time of consecration. Let us, if, if we need to be convinced of anything that was said this morning from the book of Ephesians, of whether or not they are true, let the death, burial, and sacrifice for our sins be the evidence of how much you love us and how much you go to, uh, to the ends of the earth to pursue us. I pray we would be challenged in our hearts and we would think in our minds about our next steps with you in these moments we have left. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.